What's up, everyone? Uh, today is going to be a blast. Strap it in, people. Uh, we're just... Uh, <laughs> I think we were just talking about, before we got on, how uh, we're just... I, Paul, I'm kind of hoping that one of us doesn't end this time disqualified from ministry. So Why, why did you direct that to Paul? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because I think Jake's question right before may have uh, led to that. Okay, here's what we're doing, guys. Uh, Jake and Paul... <laughs> So here's what we're doing. Uh, we are fighting isolation and of this, this quarantine moment. And we are just, you know, these conversations that we get to have. Uh, this is an opportunity for us to just invite other people in, whoever may click on, and just to be a part of the conversation uh, that we're having. And if we are, here's our target. Our goal for this time is just to have an enjoyable time with each other. And if anyone, is listening and is encouraged, that's a win. But but if if we walk away uh, just having some great fellowship with each other, that, that's a win for us. So um, I want to just introduce you guys real quick. So Paul Sabino, uh, pastor of Salt Church down in uh, Gainesville, Florida, just planted. Can't wait to hear more about that. Jake Each is one of the pastors over at Veritas Church, Cedar Rapids. And uh, yeah, this is, this is going to be a great time. Jeff Dodge uh, joins us every week and kind of a co-host. And Jeff, you know, he, he kind of co-leads his time as well. So we're just going to have a fun time. This will be a great time with you guys. Um, I want to just start by letting you guys do a quick intro of yourself uh, to everyone who might be watching. Start with you, Paul. Yeah. Yeah, like Mark said, one of the pastors here at Salt Church, and uh, I was just talking to Austin Wadlow, and he was saying, hey, can you be a part of this men's group time this summer? And I said, I, well, we were talking about how the quarantine's been, and it's crazy. He says it's been snowing for like three days there, and I'm like, man, I, it's t-shirt weather here. I mean, it's just, it's been amazing, you know, and, uh, but yeah, down here in Florida, and what a delight, um, came down with Ryan Hill, who uh, was on staff with Jake, and uh, we're friends now again um, through all that. So, you know, that's good. <laughs> uh, uh, there are a lot of stories there. But um, There's a back, the backstory is that, what's the backstory, Jake? Can you just tell we, people? We shop each other's halls, just go through the front door, and Paul did. Yeah. Yeah, I went that I did go through the front door that time after being corrected by Mark Aaron in a previous. <laughs> <laughs> hey, feel free to shop my halls anytime. Just use the front door. And it's like, yep, yep. So anyways, Ryan Hill down here, kind of partner in crime and uh, planted the church. You know, we plan for a lot of different things. You know, when you, when you do church planting, one thing we never put in our long range planning was a global pandemic that would shut down church services as we know them. And so <laughs> didn't work that in. We were idiots. Uh, but yeah, we're doing it and salt companies rolling, um, as best they can digitally and having a blast. God's been really good to us. So yeah, been here, um, a little over a year, actually, we were got, had the privilege of getting here before the church got started, uh, last August. So Jake, hey, Paul, real quick, before we get Jake's intro thing real quick, are you doing live broadcasts for your church services or what? You just mentioned that, but what, how are you doing that? Yeah. So right now we are pre-recording 
and um, it gives us the ability to edit a little bit better and, and uh -huh. do some better jobs with transitions. So a little yep. limited in our uh, in in location. So we've gone uh, we, we've we've gone pre-recorded right now, and Salt Company has been doing live through Instagram, but we've gone um, through Facebook and kind of premiering each service that way. So yeah, you know. cool. It's evolving. I mean, seriously, I don't know if we've done the same thing twice, you know, and yeah, same. you know, we learn one week, okay, we'll never do that again. And then, okay, we'll try that. And so, um, but that's what we're doing right now. Yeah. Sweet. Jake, tell us about yourself. Yeah. Uh, three kids, one wife. We married uh, about coming up on 20 years here soon and a high school sweetheart. Uh, Got a 17-year-old and a 14-year-old and a nine-year-old. Uh, oldest is a boy, two girls. Came up here from the Phoenix area because uh, Mark offered me a job a while ago and he brought me up here. And every winter we curse his name when we could be swimming <laughs> in the pool. Uh, but we're, no, we're happy to be here. We're uh, leading out in Cedar Rapids, Veritas, and just God's done some tremendous things and we're having a lot of fun. Jake, I want to just, a lot of people don't know this. They've, they've heard you speak, and I don't know if you've ever really shared your story, but you went down to Arizona State to play football, right? On, yeah. Just on a scholarship to Arizona State. So you're a Sun Devil. You got the hat on. You're representing. Yeah. That's a great, when, you're, when your mascot or your symbol is like the devil's fork, I mean, <laughs> how do you feel about that? But Jake, tell us more about, so one of the things people don't know about you is like you left your football career to go to Bible college. Can you just like, what happened? What, yeah, every boy's dream to leave collegiate football to go to Bible college. I'm just living the dream there. So how did you explain that one to your coaches? Uh, yeah, I did. Yeah. I, I mean, I'll get, we could talk for a long time, but I felt pulled into ministry and after two years of playing that was a greater passion of mine than to continue to play football and life was going well it was good I was enjoying it so I kind of say Jesus didn't rescue me from drug addiction or anything I was living my dream and he kind of wrecked my life in a good way that way but communicated to my coach and uh, he took my scholarship from me and I dropped out of college for a little bit because I wanted to stay in the valley and find a job and uh, went back and uh, like two weeks later and told him, thanks for two great years. I love playing for you. He made one phone call, got me back into school for the rest of the semester, gave me my scholarship back for the rest of the semester and just really saw God's hand through him. And then uh, a friend introduced me, he took me to a church where Dr. Stoll was speaking at the time, was the president of Moody and uh, introduced me to him afterwards, told him my story. And like the next month I was accepted at Moody and which was great because you don't have to pay tuition there, uh, but it was really a hand of God because I didn't have the grades to go to Moody. I didn't really go to class at ASU. And um, so it was just the God's hand working to provide there. Short story. Isn't that why everyone goes to Arizona State to not go to <laughs> class? No comment. <laughs> okay, we're going we're gonna to start off our conversation uh, with this question. What's one conflict you've had with your wife through this quarantine? That was Jeff's, that was Jeff's <laughs> question from yesterday. Let's get real. What, tweet. What's one conflict I haven't had with my wife? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Do we want them chronological, like yeah. in, the, in the weight of like conflict that they brought? Has Jenny just you want the email, the email rebuke attached to each one? Do I post <laughs> that? What? How do you? This is confusing. <laughs> I'm sure Jenny has just loved having you home all the time. Just well, actually, at this point, if you could slip out of the screen and put Jenny on, that would be way more entertaining. Okay. <laughs> We'd love to ask her. Yeah. You don't need to ask her. I'll tell you what. Um, she sent me two nights ago at, hold on a sec, wait for it. I, I got to look at my email. At four in the morning, this might be getting too real too quick, Mark, so I can back off. Um, at 5.39 a.m. is when I posted a long email telling me not how awesome I am, <laughs> but actually... <laughs> things that were on her mind so much that she couldn't sleep that she just wanted to help me to see. So I got plenty of material for this. We could ride out the rest of our hour. I could <laughs> read it. And, uh, and then I wouldn't have a job. And then maybe you could hire me also, Mark. So um, no. I can tell you the conflict Paul's going to have with his wife after this conversation. <laughs> so yeah. Paul, we wouldn't, Veritas would not hire you because you'd be disqualified, but we would hire Jenny. Listen, I've known that for years, Mark. That's that's no secret in this network. Now, if, I'm so hoping, I'm so hoping you you get disqualified from ministry because we're up here. The only thing Jenny said before I went on this, other than Paul, look at your hair or whatever, you know that kind of stuff, was Paul, you you around Mark, he gets you. You try and make him laugh. You say things, Paul, that will mess up everything. Like, don't ruin. You're a pastor, you know. Like, so I've already been prepped for the phone call, and I'm just trying to hold back ninety percent of what comes to my mind. So, how do you feel? I mean, Jeff is on the conversation. We we would often oh. get pulled aside after meetings with Jeff. Oh. <laughs> I've been no. busted more by Jeff over the years. We, Jeff, we wouldn't wait till after the meeting, Mark. It would be right in the middle of the meeting. <laughs> what says wait till after the meeting? Yeah, you're like a governor on this, you know. <laughs> keep us in check. Jake, let's talk about your marriage. <laughs> I, yeah, how, how are you guys doing? What's a conflict you, you and Marcy have had? Oh, in this quarantine season? Yeah. We haven't really had as much conflict. Uh, I could tell you areas I've failed. Um, it's not a, it's not maybe conflict more than failure. Uh, quality time. I mean, with just kids at home all the time, we used to have our Fridays and or to go out on a date. Now you're kind of locked in. So, I mean, we've taken walks and trying to do that, but quality time's been hard. Me yeah. freaking at her when she's down or whatever, it never seems to go well. You know, have peace believe in Jesus, get over it. It's not, not helpful. That goes over well. Yeah. So, but no, so, we've been good. Jake, you did, there is a video circulating of you on social media of streaking in your underwear. Did, did you guys see that? Oh, I, missed, I can't believe I missed that. Yeah. Yeah. That moment the things of, you do for your kids in quarantine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, it's, it started with the, the Bodines. 
in Iowa City, they challenged us to some creative quarantine videos. So we've been sending videos back and forth. We're clearly winning. Uh, <laughs> but we, we posted some, or Marcy posted some online. Um, but the last one did involve me in my underwear. And she the, the kids and her were requesting that I do this as part of the video. And I was like, it's not appropriate. It's immodest. And then I said, I might cause people to stumble. And Marcy started <laughs> laughing so hard. I wasn't quite sure how to take the, it wasn't a chuckle. It was a belly laugh. So I hurt my feelings. Yeah. Well, as you guys can see, uh, I, I usually am broadcasting from my home office. Uh, but the other day, Letha, it was like, hey, Mark, um, I think it's time that you move back over to the office. <laughs> So, so I got kicked out of the house. So things are going great on you the air. Talk about how your marriage is going, Mark. You really have one that's been kicked out of your house during this quarantine. I hold up my hand, and there's no ring on my finger. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah we're still married. Uh, Jeff, how are you guys doing? You and Teresa. Yeah, I uh, actually, Paul and Jenny's marriages often kind of parallel Teresa and I's marriages in these in these ways, and um. I, the biggest conflict we have is 90% on me. And that is because I tend to be a legalist. I tend to be just a rule follower legalist guy. And so when I'm here all the time and kind of hawking over every move that Teresa makes or how much she's doing A, but I think she should be doing B or in this consecutive order or whatever that I think is completely legit, you know, and rational. Um, yeah, I definitely exasperate my wife at times. So it, it's been great to have to work through that. I mean, obviously, so the biggest joy I think has been over these last uh, few days. So our oldest son, Seth is in the national guard. He's been activated. He's a JAG officer. So he's been actually activated to Iowa city because of the COVID 19 thing. And uh, anyway, he was able to bring his daughters to stay with us over the last days. And that's actually just been a, a joy to have our granddaughter, you know what I mean? Something to really both pour into and stuff. So mm. right now, as you're asking, it's been a sweet, a sweet few days, but uh, we've, we've had our moments. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. Hey guys, one of my questions to you is I'm just wanting to hear from your perspective, what has God up to in this pandemic? Like, what do you see, you know, in your own soul and kind of as you look at the landscape of like church and how are you guys processing? What, what's, what is God doing through this? I think one thing, Mark, that came to my mind, you know, we just right away was it's back to the basics. It's what is church and what's, what's the main thing. And the main thing I think is making disciples and, and um, that doesn't always happen on Sunday mornings. And so when, if Sunday mornings is your main thing and it gets taken away, you don't even know what to do. And certainly it's reoriented all of us in some, some real, you know, challenging ways, but, but also some life giving ways. And I, I found myself, asking questions like Robert Coleman's question and master plan of evangelism. Where are your men? You know, like who are your guys who you're turning around and giving your life away to? And that's different than how good was your sermon or, you know, um, you, you guys, I, I love listening to your teaching, 
But if you turn the question on me, Mark, and just say, hey, Paul, give me the favorite sermons that all these people on the screen have given, I'd be like, oh, shoot, I'm coming up empty. Like, I'm not empty. I mean, I've been challenged, whatever. But if you tell me how your lives have challenged me in one-on-one context and things like that, well, man, I can go on and on and on. And the reality is um, more people's lives are shaped by our interaction with them than our messages to them. Mm. And I think that it's causing me to go back to the basics of, yeah, that's how my life most changed the quickest and the fastest and the deepest. It's people who are going to really go deep with me, not just people who wax eloquent in 35 minute long messages, you know, that I remember flawlessly. So that's one thing. It's back to the basics. It's causing me to rethink and refocus evangelism, discipleship, evangelism, discipleship. It's kind of like, and that's at the that's at the dead center of it. Certainly, there are challenges to both those now, right? When we're in lockdown, but but I hope coming out of the gates and when when someone blows the whistle and and everyone's you know all clear back in the pool, you know, and things get a little bit more normal again, I hope that that we keep the pedal down on even some productive conversations and ministry tweaks that we're already making that I think will help us deepen in that way. Just you were when we were hanging out at the at the Salt Conference you were sharing or Jenny was sharing about how planting a church has kind of gotten you back to just, Oh, this is why we do it. This is why, you know, so I'm curious from your perspective on, on having a new church and what you've learned about the church and what it is, you know, you can kind of get lost on the organizational side of it as the church grows, but when it's, yeah, it's you and a handful of people, and it's what have you learned through yeah, that? I don't know that I'll offer anything super new, but you know, it, one liner stick in my head, like Pete Matthews telling me years ago, more is caught than is taught. You know, you can teach, 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 whatever, but what are you doing? Because people are going to copy that. And I think that for me, back to the basics with evangelism has just started like, do I know the names of my immediate neighbors? Have I asked them how to pray for them? Have I attempted to share the gospel with them? What does it look like? How's it going? How did it go weeks ago? How's it going? What am I plan of, what's my plan of attack um, in the weeks to come? Where's their fruit? How to develop that? And then, and then I can call everyone to follow that example. I mean, I can, you can only, you can, you can say, tell people what to do, but they're going to do what you do, not necessarily what you say. And so I think for me, it's it's been a push back to just raw evangelism, just creative, like trying to think outside the box, how to to step into those circles and not think that, oh, we'll do great Sunday services and that will be the main invite for. So pre-COVID-19, I mean, that's what you think about as a church plant. No one's coming to some middle school because they've heard about you. You know, they you just have to get everyone thinking who are all the lost people around you and what are the gospel conversations you're having? Remember the, when Clint Robinson was sharing at the, oh, the we're gathering, so you remember his, you're like, yeah. Could you recreate that moment? For well, us? well you know, we're all just listening, listening, listening. And he just says, basically in China, all we do is share the gospel every day, everywhere we go. That's our whole strategy. And I was like, oh my word, you know, it's like, come on, let's get back to that. I mean, let's, let's just put our eggs in, in that basket, maybe a whole lot more of them than we do. And so um, that's been good for me. And 
Our um, strategy is, wait for it. We tell people about Jesus. <laughs> and that's all we do. Yeah. <laughs> that's all we do. Yeah. So that's been good. You know, that, that one has been a good, when you talk about just church planning, I mean, that's a, that's a huge, uh, I don't know, lesson relearned or focused, refocused. Um, I feel like prayer is the only safe place for me. Uh, I feel, I feel more comfortable on my knees, um, sharing all that's coming it, that, that, um, you know, worries my heart. And so prayer has become something that's developed more in my life. And, uh, you know, Mark, I, I think probably we would all say on this call that you've modeled that for us maybe more than anyone. It's just been a hallmark of your life. And, um, and I, I'm, I'm so grateful that I think God's trying to help me develop in that way. And so prayer is huge. Uh, church planning, you feel really desperate when, you know, you're, you plan a church the size of your family and, you know, the people that will come with you. And um, so man, that's seeing God do tremendous things, you know, and lots of them, you know, and lots of very specific prayers being answered. So that's just been really rich. And then, um, yeah. And then I would just say, you know, the greatest part of our church is our people. And I think we would all say that, but I, I really, my heart is really captured and motivated and inspired by some of the best volunteers that, that, that our network has ever known. And I feel like we have them. And there's staffers, but staffers, you can go, well, you're kind of getting paid for it too. I, I'm talking about people who've moved across the country, who've taken way lesser jobs, who um, have cried so many tears, who miss their children, who miss their like children, grandchildren, who miss relatives, who like they didn't take a step forward in pay and whatever they made a kingdom step that only makes sense when met, when weighed against eternity and they're inspiring to us it's it's van and aaron zook you know a couple in their 50s who have the most wonderful kids jake knows them because they lived they lived in town with them years ago and jake you and i could we, we could share stories of van and aaron and how awesome they are but it's those people that have said goodbye to kids and grandkids and have just given up so much to be a part. And uh, they've had to head back to Iowa, uh, at least in the time being here. But I mean, we've got so many 30 some people, you know, who made the move with us and wow. they are pouring their lives into this thing. And I, I'm telling you that it's just causing my heart to, to value them more. And maybe my wife's letter is causing my heart to value them more too, you know, <laughs> that came in the middle of the night. So um, yeah, Good those word. things are sticking out to me though. Good. Yeah. Jake, what, what for you is, has this pandemic, what do you see God doing? Yeah. I mean, the question we were asking even before this, pandemic hit as a church was how do we help a large church feel small um and this has been helpful in that i mean relationships become a bigger deal um people to people encouragement uh, focus on those type of ministries um has been been a good thing um so so that's been good i think there's there could be a a positive this could really push us out of comfortable christianity um where you might be less prominent but more potent and that's a it could be a good thing uh, uh, i think maybe a concern is anytime there's social hardships 
It could either be a great opportunity for gospel proclamation or a great distracting alternative to gospel proclamation. Mm -hmm. And really, will we continue to be centered on evangelism, discipleship um, at, the, at the core of what we do? How do you mean that, Jake? How do you, how do you see the distraction part? Yeah, well, I think it's a great opportunity, obviously, when there's hurting the needs around us it's a doorway to our neighbors in a good way in a distracting uh, way when it, the needs become more prevalent. Um, it can tend to be all about the needs. Oh, I get you. Yeah. Yeah. We're now like a, a great call for the church to shift focus and we got to do this and we got to help there. Are we seeing that as an opportunity to proclaim the gospel or is it becoming the consuming mission? Yeah, social perspective. I was I was talking to uh, Austin Wadlow. You mentioned him, Paul, the one of the pastors up at the Commons Church in in East Lansing, and uh, he was he was saying every time he sees the map with all the red dots, he he like pictures God in this tractor with this huge plow, just like tearing up the soil. And I was I was processing that with with uh drew stevenson up at salt city in in minnesota and he was he was saying our our tendency is to like the frantic we got to hurry up and figure out how to use this pandemic and he was just wondering like i wonder if we should just be sitting on the front porch with our lemonade watching god do it you know what i mean like god's kind of putting us in a timeout almost and it's like so how do you guys balance the whole, like, in some ways, our jobs just got way harder? Like, well, I, how do you, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, I, I went, the analogy of sitting on the front porch with the lemonade, I don't think this time is calling us to passivity. Um, I mean, there's great opportunity in front of us uh, to do it. But I do think there can be an overreaction in the name of innovation. So like, what is God doing? Well, I mean, I, I look at Romans 5 where Paul's like, rejoice in sufferings, where they produce endurance, which produces character, which produces hope. So this, if this is a time of suffering, economically, socially, health, like what is God doing? Well, he's producing endurance and character and hope. Endurance um, is a good thing. And every time things get harder, doesn't mean we need to reinvent the wheel. It could just mean, hey, yes, it's hard. Keep keep at it. So I think there can be. I'm a, I'm for innovation. I'm for creativity. I think this will help us think about ministry in new ways. But there might be overreaction to like, you know, throw out the playbook. We got to do it differently. Well, just endurance. It's harder. It's difficult. Um, but I mean, what what. What's the church been doing for the last 2000 years? We're going to preach. We're going to make disciples. We're going to evangelize. I think that's the spirit of the sit on the porch and drink lemonade was the, the panic of we got to keep our, we got to keep this thing going. We got to keep tithes and offerings coming in. We got to get, keep people connected. We got to get out on Facebook. We got to, you know, that almost like going down the, the marketing strategies of church and, I, you know yeah, saying? Mark, I, right before we uh, <clears throat> hit record for this roundtable, 
uh, Drew Stevenson and I were going back and forth on a text thread. He's actually interviewing Zach Eswine this week. <laughs> I don't even know. Do you know what his podcast is even called, Mark? His bra- it's episode one is with Zach Eswine. And then. Oh, you're talking um, about Drew's podcast. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry, I think Drew. it's like it's like uh, his podcast is like live or something with in Ronda the Honda. He does it in his Honda Odyssey. <laughs> <laughs> but he so I don't know what it's called, but go find it somewhere. I'm sure it'll be awesome when he gets it recorded. It's it's gonna be rolling out this week. But anyway, he sent me this quote from Zach Eswine. He Zach wrote this Zach as if I know this guy. Zach Eswine wrote this book like a commentary on Ecclesiastes called Recovering Eden. But here's a quote that Drew sent me. All this is to say that the wise learn to manage life, not by frantically trying to glue together the knocked over vase, but by gathering all the shattered, jagged pieces and powdered dust from the floor and bringing them to God. <laughs> oh, that, that is exactly your analogy of Humpty Dumpty falling off the wall, Jeff. Yeah, that's that's why he said that's that's funny. That's he said. This reminded me of your Humpty Dumpty metaphor. <laughs> that got us on this little text thread, but but I think the the maybe point counterpoint or whatever to what you're saying, Jake is is you're right. We could get all frantic about kind of new things. On the other hand, we can so think but this is the way we've always done it. And we've just got to keep cobbling this thing back together. We've got to keep just doing, using all the tools in the tool belt we've always used. And right now I feel like God is kind of stripping us of some of the go-to tools in our toolbox and maybe bringing us back to some of the more basic things like both of you guys have already said. And that's been the challenge for me is to be like, rather than getting kind of um, exasperated because we no longer have some of the same tools or formats or whatever, instead say, okay, God, let's go back to the scriptures. What, what are you calling us to do? What does making disciples look like? Paul, I mean, your challenge on evangelism, you know, what, what do those things look like that are true, no matter what culture or what pandemic is going on? So anyway, yeah, I, I, I really appreciate your question, Mark, because here's the reality of it when it first goes down and you read your whole leading beyond the blizzard and everyone's changing everything and, and everyone knows everything. It feels like everyone knows everything about technology except me. And if you get one day behind your church is gone, you know, <laughs> I mean, you, start, you start feeling that frantic and how are we going to zoom Facebook live Instagram? Someone, you know, give me a junior hire to teach me how to better use my phone, you know, because I'm, I'm going to die. You know, if I don't, I'll lose my job. I'll, I certainly won't have, there is that real pressure. And, um, you know, here's a line from my wife's email that, that came to me that was corrective in nature. That was honestly, it's a life giving correction and it ties into this. That's why I'm going to read it. She goes later, lately, you seem more frantic and antsy to do big things and change the world more than I've seen in our marriage before. As you get older, it seems like your engineering side, things could be better, let's do more, fix things, always talk about what could be better, move quickly, talk quickly, go, 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 has taken over your more relational side. And I'm worried for our family, your staff, and our church. Ooh. And that's one How does it feel of- being married to, it's like somehow the spirit the of Jeremiah just- <laughs> Well guys, I got two pages for you, if you want. <laughs> 
Um, but we didn't call to talk about that, did we? Um, <laughs> Could you just, maybe this whole round table is supposed to be Jenny's oh. words to you that is actually like yeah. also meant for us. Yeah. So, yeah. so what she's saying, and it's true, and I'm with you, Jeff, 90% of it, that conflict we have, is like nine times, nine times out of 10, I'm wrong. And I know this is the Lord trying to get through to me because she has, she doesn't have the same motives I have in arguments, which is to win. Um, she has the motive of helping me to be the best leader that will end up being a blessing to her and to others. And if I believe that, I then can ask questions and not be as defensive. And I don't oftentimes that I want to win. But, um, but I think to, it plays into exactly when all your playbook gets thrown up in the air, you're antsy and you want to fix things and you want to quick it. And, and then you're putting your trust in yourself. And I just wonder if the Lord's going to teach us through this that, hey, I actually was serious when I said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Like, I didn't screw up with my pronouns. I didn't say you will build my church. Like I got it right. So stop pretending, um, you know, you're necessary. And, 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 and so Mark, you sent me. Paul, a Paul, you have to, you have to get into our book club, man. The book that we're all buzzing about up here, the John Mark Comer book. I, I'm telling you, you are baiting. <laughs> Paul, Paul, did you say that you were right one out of ten times with your wife, though? Is that a little generous? And I like to focus in the rest of our podcast on that ten percent. Um, <laughs> Paul, what you are saying resonates so much with what I've been processing through this whole thing. Is Ray Ortland talked about uh, a sermon that Francis Schaeffer gave, gave called the Lord's work in the Lord's way. And David Livingston found it online, sent it to us. I listened to it last week. And what he says is basically we are, when it comes to being pastors, we're practical humanists. Like mm -hmm. we take the principles of the world and we lead the church like business leaders. And we borrow from Madison Avenue and we implement. And he goes, the church is spirit filled. Yeah. And so doing the Lord's work in the Lord's way, I guess um, this, this dependence that I will build my church. And I think we get busy going to work. And this is the whole sit on the porch and drink lemonade thing. It's like when, when they asked Martin Luther, his reflections on the reformation and like this amazing thing happened through you. He said, I want to read his quote because it was so good. He said, he goes, well, in short, this is what I did. I, I preached the word, I taught it, I wrote about it, but I didn't constrain anyone by force for faith must come freely without compulsion. He goes, take myself, for example, I oppose the indulgences and all the papists, but never with force. I simply taught, preached and wrote God's word. Otherwise I did nothing. And while I slept and drank Wittenberg beer with my friends, Philip and Amsdorf, the word so greatly weakened the papacy that no prince or emperor ever inflicted such losses upon it. I did nothing. The word did everything. Mm. Yeah. And just that, that's like the, the Lord's work in the Lord's way. Yeah. It's just this like total dependence. And I think, 
the danger, like how you said it, Jake, our overreaction in the name of innovation, it, it resonates with me. Not that all those things are bad, but those are some of the thoughts that I've been wrestling with. So Mark, you, you, uh, you and I talked on the phone. This is months and months and months ago. And as often happens, you have a passage in your mind some some thought you, you you keep the gift of prophecy alive in my own mind and in theology that that god can bring words to people's minds that that come in timely ways but i think it circles back in a timely way right now mark uh, chapter four this is what you shared the kingdom of god is like this a man scatters seed on the ground he sleeps and rises night and day the seed sprouts and grows although he doesn't know how. The soil produces a crop by itself, first the blade, then the head, and then the full grain on the head. And as soon as the crop is ready, he sends for the sickle because the harvest has come. This guy, he does what little he can. He throws the seed in the ground, and then he just goes to bed. And that thing just grows and keeps growing. He doesn't even know how it's happening. And then at some point, he just goes out and harvests. And the kingdom of God is God's kingdom. And he's going to bring it. And he hasn't stopped when he exited planet Earth. And he, it didn't falter when COVID-19 hit. Now he's maybe causing us to sit down and maybe take a front row seat and believe again, believe again, that it was never really us doing it. But by faith, watch him do his work and marvel that the kingdom of God's advancing and we just get to play a part in it. Wow. Mm. I think too, oh, sorry, Jake. I'm, well, just real quick, because it's actually another, <laughs> you're quoting Mark. Now I'm going to quote Mark and he's right on the screen. He could speak for himself, but, but this, this coming week, uh, Mark's going to be in Luke chapter 12. And even though the, there's a lot more in the context, the one passage that we talked about earlier this morning, um, is in Luke 12, where Jesus just says, be careful. Where is it? Is it verse 15? Yeah. Watch out and be on guard against all greed. And I'm eager actually for this coming Sunday to be taught that passage from Mark, because that's one of the things like if that the broken vase, Humpty Dumpty falling or whatever, if there's anything that God might be trying to shatter in the evangelical American church, it might be our dependence on just riches that has caused a level of greed that has gone maybe unchecked to some degree. You know what I mean? And so now all of a sudden, whether you're a church planter like you, Paul, or a much larger church that's become dependent on a lot of income coming in, what, whatever it is, this very real um, greed, actually, the, maybe we wouldn't have even been able to identify as greed, but this is kind of ripping a mask off hopefully shattering us a little bit so that we'll go back to some very basic words like that. Right. Just be careful about greed. So mm. yeah. yeah, Jake, sorry, man. I totally interrupted you though. You no, know. I mean, I think maybe to just provide the yang to the yang on the perspective, I think that where good points can be taken and over applied or misapplied, I think in, um, in the lesson of, I hope, more people function with a greater sense of peace and rest and confidence in God. Um, but uh, urgency, passion, 
hard work, spiritual fervor are good things. And we're like for Martin Luther's quote, uh, yeah, he was at peace and God did some amazing things to the Reformation. And he, he also got after it in, in a lot of ways. Right. So I think there could be a misapplication of just. Yeah. Someone could stay in their sweats on their couch <laughs> and listen to this podcast and go, I'm with you. I'm with you. <laughs> Sign you know. me up. I know. <laughs> Martin Luther, that dude began his day with two hours of prayer every yeah. morning, unless he had a very busy day in front of him. <laughs> and then he got up an hour earlier and spent three hours praying. Whoever that day is, he's get the sweats off. And, right. uh, Hopefully what we do learn is endurance. Yeah. Like in hardship. Um, it's not... And that's where I even look at this suffering. It's not, if you have unhealthy practices in your life of just hurry and busyness, then yes. But this global pandemic is not permission for you to just coast. Mm -hmm. It's a hardship to, to get after ministry, which you should be at rest in and have good, healthy practices. Yeah. That that's, and that's what Jesus says. The application to being on guard against great, greed is seek first the kingdom. And, you know, I, I'm just really been worked over by this where he says, it's all in the context of the person building up bigger barns, putting all their trust in their wealth. And Jesus is like, hey, be on your guard against this. Like this will kill you. But the kingdom, he says, the father delights to give you the kingdom. So sell all your possessions, give to the poor. I'm, I'm just like, feeling the weight of Jesus' words. And if I could uh, roll a grenade into the middle of our conversation, I'll do it. Uh, or Jake, you would call you would call it shaking the beehive. Uh, let me shake the beehive for a second. I like honey. <laughs> I hope we get honey out of this and not stung. Uh, yeah. But my question is, so I'm going to tell you about a conversation our elders had about the SBA loan assistance. Um, I'm not going to tell you what decision we made, um, but I want to tell you what happened. A few weeks ago, um, you know, as, as that the CARES Act rolled out and the, the SBA loan and realized that we could qualify for a lot of money, I think it was like 230000 something like that. Um, I was just, we, we were going for it. And, and, uh, you know, the question was asked from someone on our elder team, Hey, uh, should we talk about this as a leadership team? And I was like, what's there to talk about? <laughs> and I'm telling you over the last couple of weeks, we have had some of the best time of seeking God together. Prayer being in God's word, talking about this. With and an urgency, Monday, I, I was thinking of Jake's just call to us, just to enter, and then keep going, Mark. But Jake, what you're saying, there was a spiritual urgency in our elder team. We were in the word, this text thread, here's what I'm reading today. This is helping shape my thing. There was a, a very pronounced, like awareness to be in step with the spirit, guarded by the word of God, this is our job as elders that since I've been here, we've not had that combined kind of 
And I think Anyways, that's keep going, Mark, always sorry. kind of been a hallmark of our team is, and, and because of the guys in the plurality in that circle. But I guess my point is, and the reason I'm not going to say our decision is because I cast no judgment on anyone, whichever they decide whether to take the money or to not take the money. To me, that's not what this is about. It's about the process you go through. And I think hearing these words of Jesus, like, hey guys, um, greed is in your family tree, not like your biological family tree, but I'm talking about our religious ancestors. And the Pharisees had a way of justifying themselves that they couldn't see it. And they were offended that Jesus would come to them with this. And I think, yeah, the, the kingdom is upside down, but, but it's like, you're in your right mind when you do things like take an alabaster jar and bust it at the feet of Jesus. Like that's not crazy in Jesus economy. And so I'm just trying to process with you guys about that and the kind of maybe the journey that you guys have gone through specifically as it relates to the SBA loan. I'm sure that both of your churches um, qualify for that. Mm -hmm. Is that something you guys in your leadership teams or you personally have kind of thought through and um, you don't have to say what the decision is, but maybe just kind of the, your thoughts on that whole thing. Yeah. Well, I'll be brief. I mean, Mark, there's, there's a question at that corporate church level in relationship to alone. And then there's the personal soulless struggle that, greed's always lurking at the door. You know, I just finished Tim Keller's book, Counterfeit Gods. Interestingly, he wrote that after the 2008 crash, and it just feels like it parallels everything all over again, you know, with this one. But, you know, he talks about, you, you know what you love most. It's what, it, it's the thing that your money flows the quickest to um, in an unhindered way. And I mean, he, he just had so many great one-liners in this area, but he said, I've had people come into my office over the years and confess almost every kind of sin imaginable. People that feel guilty, they feel, they feel like their, their lives are in the grip of all these different sins. And he goes, the one sin that has never been confessed by anyone over the years is greed. No one struggles with it. And yet Jesus spoke so much about it. I mean, his, he was just saying, it's not because Jesus was wrong on this. It's because, and it's not that people are afraid. People confess way more intimate details of sin struggles than greed. It's because no one thinks it's them. I was just talking to someone about starting to give recently, and he immediately commented about someone else's life. You know, that's what we do. We're always, it's always someone else who makes a little bit more. And so I'm just entering into the struggle. I struggle with greed all the time right now. And Jenny, actually, not in that letter, the, the infamous letter I keep referring to, Jenny's been talking to me about that. Um, and so, uh, that's been, that's been good right now. We're totally leaning towards that actually. And, um, it, no secret to you guys that Ryan Hill on our team, uh, reads fine print better than I do, you know, when it comes to some of that. So I haven't processed it at a soulish level like you guys have. And I, I, I feel like I understand what it's about and it's more along the lines of not government trying to control churches and there being separation there of actually dealing with the church as an entity, almost like any other business that employs people. So in my mind, there hasn't at least been 
a, a sort of uh, violation or a, a check in my conscience, like I'm selling out or, or we would be to do that. Yeah. But, but Hey, the reality that you guys are reaping tremendous spiritual fruit in just wrestling with it. I'm, I'm jealous for that. I feel like God's having that way in my heart, not necessarily related to that loan, but just into some recent conversations where it's like, okay, if our budget is such and such, what are we willing to lose? And how will Ryan and I take cuts first? And how will we keep our staff? Like those things. And then all of a sudden, and shameless plug for Serve India Ministries. I mean, I, I fired that out on my Facebook page today, but you see people on that video stream who I have walked among them. I have ministered there. And they're like, it's been two days. The whole family sitting around them. We haven't eaten anything for two days. What, what do I say to them? What will I do? And the conversation we're having is this is the best we've ever eaten. My kids are home. It's like a party each night. My wife's good. We have time. We, what are we going to eat next? And so God's work and our family was uh, quick to respond to that. But I mean, I think we have a lot of time in front of us to really prove that, you know, we'll be able to part with some of our wealth to help. I mean, I'm not just talking about our churches and our keeping our staff. I mean, in a global, you know, the, an article I just read was that because of what's happening, that in, even international food bank or whatever, I mean, it is going to approach a biblical famine level. You know, we, we are going to have an opportunity to part with a lot of our money to help in the most just basic ways globally. So it's not hitting me from that direction, Mark, the, the discussion of the loan, but these things are right in front of me. And I feel like God's helping me process and, uh, and, and take some steps forward because I struggle yep. with greed. I do. Yep. So, yeah. Jake, yeah. 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 We, we put it before our members, um, to, to vote on taking it. Um, cause even if it largely is forgivable, we're going to treat it as all of it's not. Um, so wanted that permission, but we did a lot of wrestling as a board before we did that. Um, and at the end of the day, it wasn't unanimous on our board and I won't just to protect, like we said, when we leave the room, we're united. So I won't go into details, but it wasn't, wasn't unanimous. And that's a, that's a tough decision. Wow. Yeah. Um, but that process, I guess, Jeff, if you could just riff on friendship, because cause yeah. that's, I think, what came out of it for us. And because it was very similar, Jake, on ours. And just, I guess the fruit that comes out of it when you come together with, you know, brothers and sisters in Christ and you, you wrestle through something and you pray through something, like you don't at the end of it to have unity, have to agree on everything. But what you agree on is, you're just deep love for the other person. You start seeing other people's interests as more important than yourselves. I just, yeah, for us, it, it's been good fruit and hope it is for you guys too. Um, Jeff, I don't know if you have any closing thoughts. Well, on that. yeah, just, just that we had just been in John 21, which is just this crazy weird chapter because John seems to, you know, have the drop the mic moment on both a great commission kind of moment. And also, Hey, here's why I wrote this. So you'd believe in, in John 20. And then he has this whole John 21 thing where Jesus catches them out fishing. You know, didn't I just say you're supposed to be outreaching the world, you know, and what are you doing? But, but in that moment, he calls them friends. He cooks breakfast for them. He sits down with them. 
And just in meditating through John 21, it really struck us that I think Jesus is looking down from heaven right now at all of us. And there's the, there's that grant slash loan money or whatever the PPP sitting there and he's glancing over that. Yeah, yeah, whatever. I got storehouses, whatever. What I'm really focused in on is, are you guys being friends right now? Because that's what I'm concerned with. I've written, I've spilled a lot of ink on friendship, love for one another, John 15. That's how even how the world is going to know that my love is the real thing is if they see love between you guys. So this whole, so for me, at least yesterday, after we got done deciding, there were two of our elders that kind of represented maybe the, the most clear mindedness, but on the opposite ends of that decision, you know, (laughs) I ended up going to both of their houses just to yap with them and talk with them. And the level of endearing friendship that has been fostered between them, between me and them. It, even this morning, the text messages I'm getting of just reaffirmation of love. I've, I'm overwhelmed with the end result being this incredible friendship, true friendship, you know, and Jesus doesn't just use that word casually, right? I'm not calling you servants anymore. You're my friends. What does this look like to be friends, to go through tough times together and decision-making together. So anyway, yeah, I, that from the kingdom perspective, that's a way higher value than choose A or B. It's how are you choosing A or B? That's what Jesus is leaning into. You know what I mean? So for, for us, at least that has been the, this has been like a catalyst to heat up in a positive way. I would say for our situation, it was a joy to disagree among our team and see a spirit of unity. Yeah. I mean, that yeah. was, that was good. but uh, even, in, I mean, not to reveal my cards on it in this sense, but even in that Romans five passage where it's like if suffering produces endurance and endurance character and character hope, um, maybe we shouldn't be so quick to avoid hardships or bailouts because even on a depth of friendship, you experience that through hardships where you have to be there for each other and, um, so, I mean, just True through man. these difficulties, really good things can happen. Amen. That's good. Hey, uh, both of you guys are, um, I, I guess, turning the conversation away from the pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess I want to ask you guys, I was, I was, uh, both of you guys are incredible communicators. Um, I love your preaching. I love listening to you guys, have, have learned so much from you over the years. Um, I was asking Eric Bodine, your brother-in-law, Jake, he's also one of our elders. I said, man, what would you ask Jake? He said, man, he goes, Jake is so good at, at getting the nuggets. He just, he just gets the I, nuggets. I do like chicken nuggets. You, you have some of the most memorable quotes and, and ways of saying things. Um, you know, I think my sermons, it's like if you're panning for gold, like you get down to just the nuggets. When I deliver the goods, there's still a lot of crap still in there. People have to sort through. <laughs> but when I hear you, it's like, oh, man, yes, yes, that's awesome. Paul with you, just you're, you're a powerful preacher. My question to you guys is, what are, like, if a book was written about your life and about, or the things that you're passionate about, or if you kind of had to boil it down to like chapter titles for what 
yeah, just axioms that you've kind of lived by, what would they be? You know, what are some things, and Jake, I'll let you start, but deliver some goods, man. Give us some nuggets. What are some things you have been helped by? Oh, um, like the title of a book about me. That'd be awesome. It'd be called Dumb Like You. That's what it'd be called. <laughs> yeah. Like the, when it comes to preaching, I think the, the greatest compliment that's kind of an insult that I get is I've been going to church my whole life and you just really helped me get it. You speak down to my level. It's like, I'm at your level. Like that's how I, that's how I communicate. Like I'm You're actually reaching. You're reaching to get up. <laughs> I'm reaching to get up there. Like I, I had to study all week to get to your level. <laughs> You're not, you're not putting the cookies on the bottom shelf where everyone can reach them. You're crawling down on the bottom shelf. <laughs> Jake, you talked about your time at Moody, how you had these, like, you know, church kids giving sermons, like, in your preaching class, and you just wanted them to speak in English, and just, like, I don't understand what you're saying. It does seem like a passion of yours to make it accessible. Can you... Yeah, I had two professors that were really influential on, on me and just in that area. One of them uh, told me, the better you know something, the simpler you can put it. Uh, and I've really just tried to cling to that. Uh, you know, so I, I try to apply that. Uh, but I was in a homiletics class and we all had to give sermons. So you, all these college kids are really trying to show how smart they are in a sermon. I, I didn't know you were supposed to do that. So I just tried to explain what it meant. And afterwards, the class evaluates your sermon. And I just got ripped apart, you know, because I, I was dumb like them. They just, I just explained it simple. But um, I didn't have any idea that I would go into preaching. So I didn't really care that I was getting critiqued. I was like, youth ministry, I can play kickball. Let's do that. Um, but I had to take the class. But our my professor afterwards uh, really breathed life into me. It's like, I think you have the gift of preaching. I think that was great. Um, so then I was like, yeah, class, how you like me now? But that was, <laughs> that, those words of encouragement where you think like, I got to show how smart I am um, rather than just really helping the message come across clearly. So I, I mean, I didn't answer your original question about, chapter titles but i think a, the book title would probably be dumb like you <laughs> yeah. paul what do you got yeah i don't know what my book title would be uh you know unimpressive but you knew that <laughs> you know <laughs> maybe unimpressive and then in parentheses but you knew that uh i i think that I, I have um, a moment in my life that I was grateful to be able to have that I never wanted to have. And, and it was when I got to talk for one of the very last times with my father-in-law before he died of a rare liver disease. Jenny's dad was probably the best, most powerful preacher I've ever been around. And his father, tremendous preacher, and it just uh, legacy. And I feel like I'm like the wild vine that got grafted into something you know there but he was dying within months of his death and his skin was yellowish because his liver was failing 
never drank a drop of alcohol. I mean, that wasn't his thing, but he just had a rare liberty. He's a sovereign suffering from God. And, and before his death, he was in his study one morning. He was an early morning kind of guy, like four something in the morning, he would start studying for hours. I mean, just labored over God's word, loved it, loved preaching. And I, I ran in, I went into his study one time when he was in there and it was the kind of place you just felt a little bit closer to God when you're in there. Cause you're surrounded by just the oldest book titles that who knows who owned them so long ago, but he, he was wearing his robe and his face was yellow, uh, yellowish because his liver wasn't working. And he, I said, dad, what's the hardest part about this for you? And he just said to me, um, he won't let me preach. He's referring to God won't let him preach anymore. He had preached right up until he couldn't stand up anymore, like in the pulpit. He, the service had gone to two services and whatever, and he would actually come home in between services just to try and take a nap and try and go back. Like he, he loved it, loved proclaiming God's word. And um, right, he said, he won't let me preach anymore. And I'm just sitting there listening to him and I'm just this young 20 something year old and had married his daughter and, you know, just had a, my first baby named Josiah. And, and then he got very serious, almost like he was mad at me, but I don't think he was. He just got as serious as a heart attack and there was no smile on his face. And he, he said, and if I'm done, if I have to pass it to men like you, he goes, then you better preach the truth. And I just remember him holding that finger at me like he was accusing me or he was upset with me or at least stern and his hand was just shaking. And, uh, you know, he said, I've labored for years and I've prayed and I've worked hard to preach. And if I'm done, you better preach the truth. And I, I didn't know what to say, the right thing to say. I think I said something lame, like I will do my best. And it was just a holy moment. And it's the, the closest thing I have as a parallel is what Timothy might have felt like when he read 2 Timothy, the final letter from Paul, and said, you know, as I'm done, you know, as I'm passing the baton, I finished my race, you know, you be ready in season, out of season, preach the word. I mean, just this powerful, like, you have been an understudy of me. And he said that to me, and I, I just heard it. I felt awkward in that moment. I felt like, have I done something wrong? I'm going to do my best. And he died not much later than that. And um, I, you know, I ended up, Mark, um, when I went to his funeral, I hadn't been to a lot of funerals because I didn't grow up around churches and, and stuff. And then I went to his funeral and I walked past his body in the casket. And at the, I went up to his body and I just, prayed that God would give me a double portion of his spirit. Mm, mm. And it just wow. maybe, maybe out of context, but you know where it's from. It's Elisha who just saw his hero leave, get caught up to heaven and taken in an untimely way. And he just asked for a double portion of the spirit. And I, I just think God's really kind to me and he's really just been gracious and he pulled me into faith that i never deserved into a family and into a mentor and into jeff as a mentor and you as a friend and jake as a co-laborer and into people's lives who have just kept believing jeff gave me my first time to preach at Saul company i was so happy he gave me a maybe a part of act 17 i taught the whole chapter it was oh 
they were recording messages on cassettes that recorded 30 minutes long and two of them didn't capture my 63 minute long message. I was so happy. <laughs> I was so passionate. I believed every bit of it. Oh, and, I remember. And, um, and by God's grace, I, I, it went so long, but I think it went well. And Jeff has been encouraging me along the way and, and just filling my life with life-giving words of strengthening faltering knees. And so God gave me a great start in a father-in-law who literally led me to faith. He became my father in the faith. And he's given me great mentors in Jeff and surrounding me with great preachers. Jake, I love listening to and um, helping Paul, me. Paul, I remember early on, you know, as you just started on that journey of, of being able to open God's word for others. I mean, you already had a love for the Bible and following Jesus. And then as you began to teach others, you know, and um, you remember, I used to call you Apollos, you know, because Apollos was that guy in the book of Acts that even before he fully had been able to read and comprehend the full counsel of God's word was already a dynamic teacher of the Bible. And I remember I, I used to call you Apollos because it was so clear that even though you were still on your journey of learning this stuff, whatever you did know, God had just given you just mm. such a pronounced gift of being able to tell others also. Mm. So yeah, at that moment, that heartfelt prayer to God at your, at your father-in-law's death, um, has been answered, man. Yeah, God absolutely. Has it's so good. It's well, good. Paul, I, one go. of the things on your preaching that I've always admired is, I think it was Spurgeon. I'm going to murder the quote, but something like, if you want to draw the crowds in preaching, then they'll come to light yourself on fire, and they'll come to watch you burn. Yeah. And you're, just, you've, got, you've always just had a, a passion that really comes through clearly. Mm. I think if, I, if there was a chapter title mark, it might be just believe it before you teach it. And I have, by God's grace, sometimes been able to really sit in God's word and really let it not just let not like just get through God's word, but let it get through me. And when the Lord meets with you in a meditative, soulish, prayerful kind of study, that's not every time I preach, but when I get to that place and I believe it in my guts then you can't help but want to pull people into what you've seen. And so um, yeah. that's been helpful. Good. Jake, I wanted to hear from you because a lot of people, when they hear you, they want to be like you and they want to teach like you. You're such a, a captivating, well, it's just, it's just pure entertainment. I don't know if it's even captivating. It's I don't know that's a compliment. <laughs> you, we, we look at you and, and we think, man, I, I could do that. Right? <laughs> no, we can't. But, but we can't. We can't do it. Uh, so I guess my question to you is, you spent seven, and I kind of want you to speak this as an exhortation to young men. And I want you to tell us about your seven years um, in small town Iowa and what that was like for you and what, what that did for you. Mm -hmm. Just yeah. tell us, I guess, the story, but then what you learned from it. Yeah, I took a, a lead pastor job at 24, 25 in a small town, small church. Um, I, I had, uh, I got a lot of experience. We went through a name change, a constitution change, a building campaign. Um, you, you do everything uh, in that role. So I had a lot of experience and the people there were, tremendous i mean I, I still look at 
those relationships and just feel like that's family for me. Mm. Um, but they let me grow and develop. They were patient with me. Um, but I would, you know, you're in a context that you got to preach 50 times a year, you know, you can try to get a couple guest speakers a year, but so like Keller talked about, you know, it takes two to 300 sermons to find your own voice. Well, a lot of times it takes young people a long time to get that many reps. I was in a context where I, you know, for seven years, that was the case. So I was able to develop, um, if I had to go back and listen to those sermons, it'd be embarrassing. Um, so I think that's just one, as I look at young guys, like let them develop. Um, they let me develop. That's an important time. Um, let yourself develop. I mean, give yourself grace in the process of, of growing. Um, but ministry in that context, I think, especially in the salt network, I mean, you can come up with some pretty amazing churches, uh, and it's exciting to go plant a new church or to be in a, a thriving context and there's innovation and creativity and camaraderie. Um, when you go to a small town church, it's really got to be about God and people. Um, and that was shaping to me. Um, just like, do I, do I really like, this? not glamorous. Am I still in love with teaching the word of God and caring for people? And mm. that was the most important thing I learned in that, that time period. Mm. But Jake, isn't it, I just think it's so remarkable that Jesus, you know, the ultimate one that we're supposed to study and model our life after, um, his father very specifically had him grow and nur be nurtured in Nazareth. That was such mm -hmm. a backwater, even by Palestinian standards was a backwater play. You know, does anything good come out of Nazareth, you know? And I just think our, you know, cause my story is the same kind of thing, little rural Iowa where I learned so much and, uh, yeah, you want to not um, ask people to surrender to go to those hard places, but actually be enthusiastic about serving in those kind of places, realizing that God is so involved and intimately involved in those moments and settings. And anyway, I just love your your example of that, man. And because Paul, your your father-in-law was not a, you know, some kind of YouTube sensation or whatever, you know, like he faithfully gave himself to the flock and prepared. It wouldn't have mattered if there were a hundred or a thousand, it didn't matter. He was faithful to the flock and God used him tremendously. Anyway, I, I just love that. That's a cool common denominator among several of us on the screen is we had years of developing at a place that was different than, than, than where we are. I mean, Jake, those years, what an investment. Jeff, you gave me the opportunity to be the freshman director for Salt Company. At week after week after week for like four or five years, I was the primary one that would teach on Sunday nights. And I remember walking across the street from the place where the bookstore used to be, it's no longer there, with excitement. I, in my mind's eye, am walking up the circular steps in the Memorial Union on the side, heading to the second floor, to the room, with excitement opening the bible and i can't wait to show you these things and i remember the feeling of walking back across the street to my car feeling like i had failed 
<laughs> what I was so excited about, what was so clear to me, came oh. so jumbled and just going like, oh, for years, God gave me that, yeah. you know, I don't want to hear those messages, you know, but it was part of the process. And I, and I just think for young guys, emerging preachers to get the reps and don't think Sunday school classes and teaching children in your church, whatever's going to get you weekly reps, don't think of that as under you because that's the training grounds. I mean, for, mm -hmm. for a different stage. And yeah. so, um, and different, different contexts are, uh, have, or bring different things more exciting or whatnot. And there's there, I understand the, the strategic approach to cities. Um, but I think as a young person that feels called into ministry, if you're not willing to serve God anywhere, maybe you shouldn't serve God anywhere. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Oh my goodness. Wow. Francis Schaeffer says something almost exactly like that in the Lord's work, the Lord's way. He says, if you demand leadership, you should never be a leader in the church. Yeah. Uh, something like that. Um, I, okay. It's time for some self-deprecating conversations. That's well, just now starting. <laughs> or we could, this is the round where we make fun of each other and how terrible we are at certain things. This, I was having this conversation with a guy and he was talking about a decision that somebody in leadership had made and it was really infuriating to him. But he said this, he goes, he goes, but it's okay because he said they're just trapped in their own gift set. Like, wow. <laughs> wow. And, and that was kind of his way of giving this person mercy. It's like, what makes you so good at certain things makes you terrible at other things like what are you just terrible at <laughs> and you well, feel where you feel your inadequacy right now so i think that statement is very true for me like i so appreciate selfishly my friendship with mark and jeff you both are a bit more mystical than i am and like the idea of like we just need to sit on the porch and drink lemonade my knee-jerk reaction is like from a coach, no, let's go, crank it up, get better. But it's also probably the thing I need to hear from people too. Uh, so I think I can, uh, I need, I'm terrible at slowing down and yeah, that's, I'm bad. But I feel like, you know, that, so that for me, um, there, like the idea of living in a mo in the moment, like what, what I admire about you, Jake, is your strategic planning. I'm like, wait a minute, you prepared a sermon two weeks before you preached it? Like, <laughs> how, how did you do that? Dude, I don't carry a printer in my car to print off my notes right oh. in the parking lot beforehand. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, I've been, I was walking up to do a sermon at, at the bar in, at Veritas Cedar Rapids back when it was in the bar, and I had my little portable printer, and it wasn't working. So I just had to walk up without notes. And then I think... You know, one of the one of the sound guys like finally ran up my notes to me and handed them to me because the printer started working. I think my I think my book would be called like I don't know, like I have mastered the art of being a day late and a dollar short. So I so, so I, I think I think uh I think that would be the book title or something, but that's kind of the backside of those the gifts of being able to be in the moment. Uh, live in the spirit. I think it it 
creates problems for me when I'm not. Do you, you know, do you, Jeff or uh, Paul, do you have a book title for Mark? Maybe shoot, ready, aim. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, seriously, that's a good one. It's it's amazing uh, that God can use us, Paul. Where do you where you feel in your inadequacy? Maybe you've already gone there. You, I think, I think you already shared. Yeah, that. yeah he started. <laughs> Jenny, Jenny gave us those. Remember? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I actually, while you're talking, because I'm so quick to forget what I need to focus on, I, I, I flip, I flip back to that, and a, a couple of things that I that is just true of me is I'm more defensive than I used to be. And I, I like, you know, as part of it, it's just wanting to win an argument. And um, it's a sad thing if someone as close to you as your spouse says, you know what? And they're not just throwing a thing out just as a one-liner, but hey, you used to be pretty different about something, you know? And you used to be, here's two I've heard. You, you, you're more defensive than you've ever been. So you used to be more open and, and teachable. Seems like you're quick to just want to correct and show, well, it's not entirely wrong. And, you know, and just quick to want to respond and not believe that God's blessing me in this moment, like to help me be more like Jesus. That's his big goal. And then another one she said, uh, she said this months ago, but I wonder if it's true. She goes, you're, you're slower to serve than you, you've been. So I, I want to say right now, I am being refocused on people, not the future, you know, not in, not the big, what might be vision filled charge next mountain, but here's a family. How are you doing with them? Here's your leadership team. Do they feel loved here? Here are people that are near and dear to you. Do they see you as a servant and are you open to any correction they might bring? So it's, it's, not focusing on the big, but it's small is the wrong word. It's not focusing on something grand. It's being faithful with, with being a true friend and a lover of the people right in front of me. So I don't know. It's a little messy, Mark, but I, great, those challenges I'm feeling right now. Um, it's among- a great lesson for all of us who are quarantined. It's like we have the people in our lives and it may be yeah. just our world's got much smaller. And yeah. um, hey, last, uh, we'll kind of, end with this is um, every time every uh, round table we want to end with the candy aisle you know uh, so the candy aisle is related to entertainment sports other things in life that really don't matter but you got to have candy in your life you got to have some sugar so uh, what have you guys been what's been keeping you entertained what you've been you know listening to watching uh, reading um, give us some stuff to help us get through this uh reading i'll start with the more serious stuff and then we'll get to the less serious stuff. i just finished this book and i absolutely loved it um just a resilient faith how early christian third way changed the world just kind of how christians in the second century behaved from going from a persecuted minority to the majority of the population and it was fascinating so that's who wrote who wrote that jake uh Gerald's sister, sister. Hmm. Wow. So yeah, that was a fascinating book. I really enjoyed that. Um, the, uh, I read this Bob Roberts transformation. I like most of it. 
Um, it's really good. And then this is the one I'm anxious to start reading. What would Jesus really eat? Kind of a defense of eating meat. <laughs> wow. New devotional material. <laughs> Jake, wait, you needed to be convinced, more convinced? Well, like, like Paul, I just want to win more arguments. So for all the vegan craze, that, that's what I'm preparing for. Uh, but on a TV show, I don't know if this is appropriate. Uh, my, my oldest son and I have gotten hooked on the blacklist on Netflix. It's an old show, but it's new to us. And it's gone to an unhealthy level of let's watch one more. Let's watch one more. Like what happens next? So uh, that uh, and uh, anything with Bear Grylls, Surviving in Nature or uh, Nature Documentaries. I'm consuming those. Nice. Violence in Nature. Violence in Nature is also nice. So <laughs> there you go. Bring those worlds together. Yeah. <laughs> Paul, what you got? Um, What's crazy is Jenny flew a lot of the family here, like for my birthday. It was a total surprise. It lined up with their spring breaks. So my three college kids are here, Josiah, Ellie, and Claire. Josiah's wife, Michelle, flew in like the day after. So basically we're coming up on all – and then we all got quarantined. Stay-at-home orders came way early in Florida before Iowa and all that kind of stuff, the shelter-in-place stuff. So they have literally been here. We're coming up on like five weeks together. It has been – one party after another and been delightful. And it's almost hard to talk about. It's almost wrong to talk about because some people's, you know, quarantine experiences or even just getting coronavirus. I mean, I don't make light of that at all. I was just recording a video with uh, at a local hospital, you know, with some of, with one of our workers there. So, but it's such a contrast to like this party scene that we've, we've had or whatever. So I've actually read very little. I mean, just, finish counterfeit gods and and need to read more um yeah watch we definitely watch more tv i i honestly i went back jake and uh i had never seen the show 24 so that was one that i remember hearing like great remarks about so i just like i'm buying the whole season i watch episode one with the family we fast forwarded through enough junk to where like the next morning i'm in god's word and i'm like i cannot do it here's my confession coming to the family you know just like we're done with 24. And interestingly, this sounds like such a gimmicky thing. Jeff, that you mentioned a show that's, we're only two, two three episodes in, kind of like a modern day deal on Jesus's life. Is it The Chosen? Yes. I don't yes. know how long that's been around. We just started watching that and actually are pretty hooked on it. We're three, we're three episodes in. You couldn't have a greater contrast in content there from like the one I felt guilty about where I wasted 10 bucks on, even though I love that kind of action. But um, to, to it, something like that. You know what I compare The Chosen to? I compare it to Eugene Peterson's translation, The Message. Okay. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, you're going into it, you're, you're saying, this isn't a play-by-play. -play. This isn't, oh. they're not attempting to give you a verse-by-verse -verse yeah. recounting like, like maybe the Jesus film was, you know? Right. It's not that, but it is so fascinating and gives me a fresh... And the scholarship that went into it, like Eugene Peterson, incredible Greek and Hebrew scholar. So the scholarship that goes into it is amazing. But then just the retelling of it, okay. kind of like Eugene Peterson. So it's yeah. exactly, we're three episodes in and people just want to get past dinner to get to that faster wow. right now. Because, and so very colorful. And then it's 
crazy and it's Florida and we have a pool. And I mean, it has been like volleyball, nonstop spike ball with my kids and workouts. My son is like so driven, you know, CrossFit type stuff, you know, so he's putting us through uh, TJ Sheely, a, a network guy named it Small City, you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> it, you know, there are these 30, 40 minute long workouts or whatever, but Josiah is great at creating them. So is TJ. But so every couple of days we're doing something crazy and then, you know, uh, being able to play together. So I've honestly played more. It's felt like I was back in high school, but my kids are my playmates. You know, they're, they're my best friends and we've been having a blast with that kind of stuff. So more of our entertainment is honestly we've been a, probably a little bit more outdoors. And so Paul, so I feel terrible watching uh, Raymond Reddy. I know you guys were watching Jesus on TV. That's yeah. <laughs> well, Paul, maybe you guys, uh, we were, we were uh, watching. So I, you and Jenny, I don't know about the rest of the guys on the screen, Jeff and Teresa, Jake, I don't, I don't know that this is a good recommendation for you, but um, I was kind of doing penance um, for watching the Tiger King. And so I had to watch uh, Emma, the BBC version <laughs> of Emma, Jane Austen's Emma. It's like a four, four part series that was good, but my sins were not fully atoned for after that. So I watched Little Women, the new oh, version. Yeah. Because yeah. That movie was awesome. It's legit. I loved that movie. Just watched it a week ago. I mean, we've seriously seen a bunch of movies, you know, but that was one of them for sure. Isn't that a great movie? It's legit. Could I'm gonna take your word for it. Yeah. <laughs> Only watch. You watched, did you watch the Tiger King? Did you fall into that? I have not seen that yet. I haven't finished it. But everybody talks about, you know, it's there's some craziness behind this person's life i'm kind of feeling like he owns a tiger like that's the tip of the iceberg like you know crazy more crazies underneath there like that shouldn't be surprising yeah absolutely well fellas um yeah it's been fun hanging out we're i again right at about that hour aren't we mark right yeah yeah we're about the hour we we actually uh one of the things about we're the only one still watching mark I feel bad if anyone is still watching because <laughs> they should have clicked off like 45 minutes ago. Um, <laughs> but Jeff, I'm going to leave you with the last word. What do you got for us? No, dude, I actually, I, I didn't know you were going to do that, but I was actually just reflecting back again in my mind as I'm laughing on John 21. Guys, I, I hope that if nothing else, this does, does model friendship. Right. I've just been remarkably drawn back to that such simple you talk about the cookies on the bottom shelf, you know, Jake, that Jesus just modeled. And by the way, back to the plug on on the chosen, that's what you really see in there too, is the friendship part that Jesus had with his disciples. But anyway, I'm just I'm delighting in this moment. And and there was not, you know, a moment that I wanted to say, Hey Mark, check the clock. Let's get off this. I just wanted it to keep going because I have truly enjoyed the friendship of, of you guys in my life and I'm so um, delighting in Jesus because I delight in you guys and I hope that that seeps out as, as others jump into this thing and watch it and I think it's glory to be to God on that, you know, so love you guys a lot. Yeah, fellas, man, um, great hanging with you guys. Thanks for jumping on and, and uh, yeah, we'll, we'll be in touch. So 
Hope everyone has a great, great afternoon. We'll see you guys next time. All right. All see right. You. See you guys. Peace.